0: You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co host, Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And with us today, we have Dan Greenwood of Proof of the Shooting and Diagram A. What's up, Dan? Hello. Yeah, thanks for joining us.
1: Yes, we are excited to talk to Dan today as the massive Proof of the Shooting box set collection is now available from self-abuse and fusty cunt. So in honor of that set, we thought it'd be perfect time to talk to Dan. So thanks for doing this with us. Yeah. So proof of the shooting, you know, a nineties American noise project that certainly known for its special packaging and it's, classic take on American noise. So let's just start from the start. Tell us about the beginnings of
2: proof of the shooting. I enjoy that. It's, it's known as American noise now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's some, I I
1: do think there is something about it and especially, you know, having for the past few years, just focusing so much on, on noise in and week out day in and day out. There is something very American about proof of the shooting. I'm still trying to put my finger on exactly what that means. But I think
2: we'll figure it out today.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: it started, I mean, we started probably 93. Um, so two years before any of this stuff on the box, really. Um, and I was like a kid. Like 16, probably. Um, and there was like, you know, bands and stuff all around the area. I was in bands. Uh, I filled in on a band called Squid Launch and I played bass, but it was, I was mostly playing noise over the parts and there wasn't a lot of like noise and stuff happening. John saw that and thought, he liked that idea. He was doing his own. He was kind of trying to move into doing like industrial kind of stuff. He had been in rock bands. So he called me up. We had known each other because we kind of grew up. We were both altar boys at the same church. Wow. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> we had that. That's how we kind of knew each other. Uh He used to have shows in his grandmother's basement, like hardcore shows. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So we got together, it was his idea and we were doing like this kind of industrial thing. But of course you start experimenting first before you figure out, you know, how to, how to make a band and, uh, that was kind of more interesting, really.
1: When you sort of dropped the, because the industrial element of it. Because I think of one of the things I was we were talking about actually before we, yeah, we were discussed recording this. is how proof of the shooting really there is. There really doesn't feel like there's any industrialness in it. It does feel
2: like pure noise. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was into drum machines and that's really, yeah, that's like how we started. Mm hmm. Yeah, we recorded a tape. Wow, did it have beats? It had like some beats, but wow. you know, only like two minutes of beats. And then it was like, because I really just wanted to play, just right. like yeah. play noise, really. And I didn't, there, I didn't really have, there wasn't like a lot of noise that I was taking in, but that's what I wanted to do with guitar. And we kind of played all our old hardcore sort of contacts and would just play two minutes of beats and then just blast for like 45 minutes
0: right right
2: (laughs) and it would be like i don't know it would like clear out the room and stuff eventually we kind of like you know we continued on and kind of like formed some songs and then we sort of like went our separate ways a little bit uh because he wanted to do more rock stuff and then we kind of came back to it and we were just like let's just drop all that and just do this kind of what it what's on the the disks just pure yeah. just yeah. unadulterated yeah. noise yeah
1: so who who were some of the first actual just noise projects that you became aware of you know you said you were you kind of guys came from kind of punk and hardcore yeah. Knew you wanted to make some more racket, but weren't, didn't necessarily know specific noise projects. When did that become, when did you start becoming
2: aware of that? I guess I, I picked up a uh, Mersbau 7 inch. I, I heard them on the UMass radio because right. I would stay up late at night. You could catch like weird things late nice. night. UMass radio. UMass actually used to be a lot of really cool stuff. There would be like, kind of like, you know, wild radio shows and they had like shows there. And yeah, I picked up a Merz, the I think it was the self-abuse Merz, I think it's called white blues, white blues. Awesome. I lo- nice. love that cover too. It's
1: such a classic cover. Um,
2: That was probably the first seven inch of noise that I got. And just a lot of stuff was coming in all at the same time. I was really into Napalm Death and John was into Godflesh. And it was like all the stuff around that. And there was... I think Justin Broderick had a project called Final, maybe.
1: Final is awesome. That was
2: more noise like KK Null. Heard about Zenigiva and then heard KK Null solo. So really came from the
1: heavy you know metal slash rock slash industrial stuff, and then mm-hmm. started branching out into those worlds that were connected to it,
2: yeah, but the um one of the first records I actually found was like at a flea market it, it's not really noise, but it kind of it kind of is it's the um I rebought it it's called electronic music, and it's uh john Cage Luciano. Ario, and Ilhan Memoroglu. And it's like the best, still the best noise record, really. <laughs> Even though it's not noise genre.
0: Oh yeah, I have that same record.
2: <laughs> yeah. So just looking for stuff that sounded like that, and we were still, we were also like following like free jazz, Sun Ra. We listened to Sun Ra a lot, believe it or not. We saw Skin Crime, Emil Bolio, Crawl Unit. Oh, uh, that's a set. Uh, UMass. Thing. Oh wait, now was this? I think oh, you talked about this show. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. A, a lot of people have talked about this. Yeah, as, you know, pretty pretty legendary show. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. So that was like, and and you know, Pat's obviously been. He's always been such a supporter, and having talked to him a little bit before we did this interview, said you know just loved playing shows with you guys. So was that the first time you met Pat? Yeah. And nice. Ron.
2: Nice. Um, I think we, we had sent Ron a tape. So we found out a lot of stuff from Ron. Yeah. We brought stuff from Ron. And uh, yeah, we met at that show. And then we played a number of shows. We played at the store. Um, we played with Skin Crime in like Worcester. I think Jason Leskley put it together. Uh, or maybe Mark from Skin Crime. That, that might have been a little later, though. Uh, we saw, I remember seeing skin crime at RR Records.
1: Before we continue our conversation with Dan, a few words from our sponsors. Coming this Friday, April 2nd from Hospital Productions. The half-mortal sound of sadism and cocaine death drifted on the wind through barbed wire fence tops, ventilation units, across glass-lined windowsills and fluorescent advertising facades. The intelligence passed down through the generations of who was who is the treatment of ravens and crows. Their agony of metals around compressed cylinders scattering off rain gutters as the chains of the window washers slide frictionless through the pulley upwards across rooftop pools of chlorine. Black crows, cyborg. They remember people.
0: Whether you get off on Sonic Extremes, skilled think pieces, or psychologically damaging soundtracks for personal ritual, Misanthropic Agenda has got you covered. Misanthropic Agenda is a noise, sound art, and electronic music label founded by Garrett Whitmer in 1998, releasing CDs and vinyl by the likes of Murzbow, John Weiss, Joe Colley, Dave Phillips, Francisco Marino, Death Throws, Lasse Marhog, Jason Krumer, LHD, and many more. Use code Extra at misanthropicagenda.com to receive free shipping on any size order in the United States. Oh, and they've also got a band camp.
1: One thing I think is interesting about Prove proof of the shooting is the dryness or lack of titles. I mean, yeah. the ti- it's numbers, it's mm-hmm. dates. What, what, would? when did that, when did you guys land on that, that that was going to be the way to go? And, and just, and then the name proof of the shooting is so, you know, yeah. it's so evocative mm-hmm. on its own, but then the titles are these dry numbers. Do you recall that yeah. idea?
2: No, I know exactly. That's, that's when we shifted kind of, because in the beginning it was, um, John was going to put together like a zine of photographs of like bands. And it was just totally like, not that interesting an idea to me, but like, so he just took that title and I think it, he clipped it out of the newspaper, I think, Mm. Is it like a collage kind of idea, but it was right around the time of the Waco standoff, so I think it was related to that because we talked about that a lot. I guess at, when we dropped the band, we were just like, "Well, we can just drop any bias or imposing any content, and we can just do whatever." So then we just did whatever, like we go out, walk around on the train tracks at night, just go record stuff. All over the place, try out any technique we wanted to, just pile tons and tons of stuff and just constantly keep moving and shifting and improvising.
0: looking at these earlier tapes on sound probe, it seems like uh spring and summer were sort of I mean you've got june ninety five june ninety six and then uh, March and April of ninety seven Was there something about that time of the year that you guys were more productive or working together or that inspired you?
2: I'm not sure. Possibly. I mean, I I went to school. I mean, I went to community college and then I the last year I went off to Chicago to school, came back. So that might have been part of it.
3: Well, I imagine a I'm not- Massachusetts winter is no fun to walk around and record That's- stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, They're no joke. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so probably because, I mean, if we're making stuff and we probably needed some kind of, probably in the winter we just hibernated.
1: Sound Probe and Prove the Shooting, obviously very known for its packaging. Pretty much everything, as far as I can tell, is a special package in some way, shape, or form. Were these all, what was the process? Were these all done at once? If the edition says it's an addition of a hundred, did you make a hundred? We've talked about that a lot of times Mm -hmm. or sometimes that's not accurate on certain things. What was your guys' process?
2: Um, I mostly did them. I would bring it, I would kind of like get help from other people here and there and John would help. I would do them all like earn batches of like 25 or something. Mm -hmm. If there's a hundred, I'm not sure a hundred of them got out into the world or got to the wrong people, probably.
1: <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a few survive, and they get into the hands of the right people, and then, like, the project survives. But otherwise, like, it could have just, you know, faded away. It's more the picture of the of the tape than the, the actual tape. There's probably very few of them out there. I did 100 of them, usually. Right and actually i was pretty generous with or we were we were generous with like you know getting them to people they get like 20 i think or something like that
1: what material did you enjoy using the most
2: uh paper pulp yeah so awesome. like paper pulp fabric wire string i just uh enjoyed the making textures so I would just like, you know, fuse them all together with like acrylic and make like a pot or something that was like, looks like a clay tablet or something, or, you know, some kind of craft like product, which ended up being, it's kind of like a, a, when we worked on it with, you know, you bring in other people and you work on it, but it actually is pretty successful because other people wanted to if they wanted to release something by diagram A or proof of the shooting, sometimes they're inspired to make something like that for the release, which is, I like that idea. It's kind of like a folk art, you know, it's like passing on this like tradition to other people.
0: Yeah, even if they're not normally doing special packaging because they're doing something for proof of the shooting, they're going to go out and do something a little more unique yeah. than the usual.
2: Yeah, yeah. There was one, I think, Cypher uh, put out a diagram A tape that was like a latex, like a brown latex box. And then Jim is doing something for the the box set, the proof of the shooting box set that's... Uh, mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what he comes up with.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It is out today. We'll just have to see what, I, what it we'll looks all like. Discover. Yeah. We'll oh. all discover together. <laughs> but did you, did you see, did you think about at the time, the idea of transforming the material into something for special packaging? For example, you, it wasn't going out and buying a thing and putting it in a box and then putting the tape in the box. And this is a special package all the material is being transformed into what becomes the package was that something that you considered at the time or just right now
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it was almost like uh not wanting to buy boxes i think right yeah <laughs> that's like zero budget i mean we were like still i'm like zero budget so i guess not needing to buy a box and making something that the tape slips into just kind of made sense or maybe that's just what i liked to do i'm not sure
0: also uh, buying boxes and like sort of standard stuff for releases is kind of tedious and mundane like you've got i have 500 tape cases here in my house in a cardboard box that's not fun That's not like, that's not an interesting thing to look at or hold, you know? So when you make all the packaging yourself and you have materials and maybe an area set up to do that, did you have a special area like where you were living or in your, in your room that you were making the stuff at or anywhere you could get away with it?
2: Any, just anywhere I could fit it. I mean, I, I never really had a great, um, Set up, But he could like throw a tarp down or something somewhere in a corner and try to like lay these things out.
0: So one of my early noise seven inches was the MSBR proof of the shooting seven inch, of which there are two editions, both in handmade packaging, because Koji was, of course, known for his extravagant packaging as well. How did that uh, how did that seven inch come about and how how did you guys decide you were both going to make kind of crazy looking things for it?
2: Yeah. So that, I mean, that's really where a lot of it came from is trading with him. So that was, I guess that was really what inspired me to get going and doing that stuff. We did that together. He did his copies and we did a copy again. It's like uh, we just traded off each other, I guess. His are different. Yeah. His are more popular, I think. (laughs)
0: <laughs> did you send him a copy of yours and, and he sent you a copy of his as well? You, do you have his edition?
2: I don't have his edition. No, I had the other, I had his tape that he did and stuff like that. But we just printed, we got the the seven inches made and it was just a plain blank sleeve. And we each made our, our packaging. Um, I ended up meeting him in 2000 I think in Chicago I got to see him play
0: wow that was pretty sick awesome that so, must have uh, been that tour with uh with government alpha
2: yeah that was a great that was like probably one of my favorite noise shows when were you in Chicago 99 2000 Maybe and I wonder
1: if we were at some of the some same shows together because I I grew up in, I didn't. I I didn't live in Chicago. I lived in Chicago up through '98, and then I moved out. So I was only in high school. But yeah. I mean, you must have gone to shows at the Fireside Bowl.
2: Yeah, I think that show was there.
1: Cool. Oh yeah, I, I was. I wasn't in Chicago at the time, but yeah. I saw KK Null at the Fireside Bowl with Noisegate. I believe. Would you? Were you
2: at that show? No, I wasn't there at that time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it might have been. We, we might just missed. We might have just missed each yeah. other. uh yeah.
2: But. <laughs> But
1: oh, that's cool! I actually didn't know that you. I didn't realize you lived there.
2: I saw K.K. Null out here. It was like at in Springfield or something. It was a great show. Awesome. Hell yeah! That's cool. the
1: The box set is 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 a massive box set. Uh, we've been listening to it all week, and and actually today we we woke up. And you may be able to hear, as many listeners will know, our our construction was, we constantly have construction around us. And we woke up just to construction, whatever music they were listening to. So we were like, you know what? we're cranking the proof of the shooting box and drowning it out. We did. They kind and of quieted we did. down. And I, I think they got, we the, just it. was, it was just like a drilling like, yeah.
3: competition. I mean, yeah. right now they're, you know, they have no competition right now. They're just drilling yeah. their brains out. So you but, may uh, be
1: hearing, uh, it was
3: great together. I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. We'll just
1: pretend it's GX. That's an
3: industrial element, right? Yeah. We're just going to pretend it's thrilled.
1: GX doing a set behind yeah. us. So it's great.
3: We always pretend it's yeah. the haters.
1: Here. Yeah. But I mean, it is a <laughs> massive expansive box set of pure noise. One thing I thought was interesting about it is wh- wh- it's not in order. Wh- what was the decision to? It's it. It's not like it's not a. It's not in chronological order. It actually is. Is uh, it goes all over the place. It goes all over the place chronologically because I
3: kept going. Which album is this? I'm like, which I'm album like, is this? It's yeah. like you can stop asking. You can stop asking.
1: <laughs> and and if when I tell you, I'm going to say it's eight. And then it's going to be, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's eight. but, but whose decision was that to mix up the order?
2: It wasn't necessarily intentional. I think the whole thing was, um, I was like digging that stuff out and like, I don't have like an archive or something. I, I have mm-hmm. like a storage space where this stuff was stuffed in. And I had to like buy a mini disc player to even get it going again. And, um, yeah. Yeah. It's all on like mini disc. And so Jim was really awesome where I could like be like, Oh, here's this, here's this, here's this, and keep like feeding him stuff. And he would kind of like put it together, but I'm fine with it being nonlinear like that. I, I almost prefer that because I mean, that project was never really, something that would be displayed in a linear way. So to have it be reissued now is so weird anyway. I mean, it's like 20 years later, I'd rather have it just be all mixed up and have, if you hear any, anything in it that says this came before that, then, you know, follow that idea. But to me, I like it. I like it the way it is and and i like that it was put together in the way that the stuff was excavated because it's uh that's the reality of the process of this thing that took so long to to get anybody to really
0: kind of get at it it's
3: like archaeology
0: i think yeah. it's an interesting decision for a for a box set collection because as listeners we don't really listen linearly either right because you hear a release from a project and then maybe you seek out their earlier stuff and maybe you're listening to them in chronological order as things come out because you follow it but you miss a release here and there and then you go back and track it down so it's closer to how someone might have actually discovered or heard proof of the shooting is like hearing this one piece and then getting a fragment of something later and then something earlier uh I think that's kind of cool. All too often we opt for the sort of easy alphabetization or chronological order of material. And there's no real need for it, especially when it comes to noise.
2: Yeah, I'm really into the scattered fragment idea in general for any of this stuff. Um, Throwing pieces all over the place works for me, so...
1: When I think kind of like we talked about earlier, even just with the lack of titles or only using numbers as titles, the whole thing was never, it was, it was always this, this almost blank canvas f- as far as the content went. Yeah. So having it be like this just emphasizes that again, that you're not saying this is, it, it's all, it's all, it's, it's, it's the world in its entirety.
2: It was intense too, because the, I guess the process was kind of, because of the name, because of it being like this really open-ended thing for me, I kind of like, kind of project, project into it. So if I was able to dig up a a certain release or something, and then I would kind of hear about some recent shooting or something, it was like, it's kind of something that your mind puts together, kind of like a meditation on these, like, violence or whatever, you know, events happening while you're thinking
0: about making this
2: project happen.
0: You mentioned mini disc as being where a lot of this stuff is archived. Is that your main recording process for this stuff or would you dump masters to mini disc? Like, was this, was this done live in a studio or how, how is this stuff recorded?
2: It was recorded live to mini disc and some of it Some of it will have live stuff mixed in with it or processed. A lot of the earlier stuff, like from us just getting together, would be processed and mixed live. And then we'd edit those, take out the stuff that didn't sound good or, you know, like cut it into pieces. But there wasn't any
0: multi-like... multi tracking okay, were you editing direct- directly on mini disc on mini disc okay, yeah, wow,
2: yeah, and I've gone back to that since I've repurchased a couple mini disc decks, that's kind of the process I've gone back to' as a, that's, it that's I like editing on a deck like that, um. Not a lot of, like, computer... I don't do a lot of computer editing. Um, Starting to do a little bit, but not, like, a lot of overdubbing and stuff.
1: Was there a different approach to recording and playing live? Or was it... You know, did you have different goals in mind for when you're going to do a live show or when you need a recording session?
2: Live was different because there would be, you know, lots of feedback, and it was... The live was different because I could bring large pieces of metal and smash them around and stuff. Um, I still did that on the recordings too, I guess. We just keep experimenting and the live sets weren't totally different. Um, It was just kind of like amplified, you know, the things that come along with amplifying it where you get a lot of feedback and stuff. And we would just kind of go with it. Did you like playing live sets? Yeah. I guess as we talk about it, the, a lot of the live change um, there was a, a radio show called voice and salt radio show. And that was this guy, Dan Boda. And he had, he would have us come on I mean, we would go on there all the time and we would play live on the radio. So it was kind of like we adjusted our live presence to being on the radio and like that kind of like, That might have actually informed kind of like how we recorded everything after 90,
0: 95. And what kind of gear were you using to make noise back then?
2: Uh, I had one effects processor called the A4. It was like a guitar thing. And that was like the one real piece of equipment that I had. I had like, uh, I had a baseballs pedal. What's that? Baseballs. <laughs> baseballs. Do you know that? Yeah. I've never heard of it. I've
1: never heard of a baseballs.
2: No, it's like a, it's like a filter for bass, and it kind of like, it's all over all the stuff. I mean, it's like
0: a. Like, <laughs> oh, it's like, like a, a like an envelope follower kind of thing.
2: Yeah, and and I had like a distortion pedal, maybe a couple things here and there, but a lot of it was like. Broken, like, whatever flea market junk that I could find. There was a lot of reel-to-reels around at that time, too. Radios. um, Guitar pickups on gas cans and stuff like that.
0: Guitar pickups for recording... Metal is one of my favorite sounds. It does such a good job with <laughs> with metal. Yeah. So it's a different <laughs> approach than like a contact mic or something.
2: Yeah, yeah. Contact mics. I would use those too, but it, it's a little more crunchy, I guess. The guitar pickup you can get. I guess you can get really good
0: feedback with it. I used hmm. to just bolt them to, to metal. Big <laughs> yeah. sheets of metal. Did you guys tour much or did
1: you mostly play in massachusetts
2: no this was like not touring not it was like a small town kind of project i mean we did shows but they were like you know really not a lot of people there we did some stuff we did a show at wesleyan university um because we had a friend the friend that started the label that kind of like moved on quick we did yeah we did like jeff hartford of noise nomads he start he booked a show for us like in a school auditorium or something (laughs) something weird it was like that's what the kind of shows i mean we weren't not a lot of that stuff but we still did we still did shows but there wasn't we definitely weren't in california
1: (laughs) yeah yeah
3: (laughs) There's, there's a certain charm to, you know, playing a gym
2: yeah, <laughs> or yeah, a JC
3: yeah. hall. I don't know. It, it feels
2: sense. I mean, we <laughs> yeah. were like really blasting massive walls of noise in these places that weren't always noise aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did a, a few shows with skin crime and stuff. And Emil Bolio, um, all sparsely attended.
1: There's a performance from Wesleyan as well mm-hmm. as
2: that voice and
1: Salt radio show on the box set. Yeah. Was that, was that on so, any um, releases originally or is that exclusive to the box set?
2: And is there any stuff that is exclusive to the box set? The, the one on, it was on uh bone scraper recordings. It was released on there. The, the Wesleyan set. Is that,
1: is that the split with skin oh. crime?
2: Yeah. There was another show at Wesleyan with dog. Uh, he was one of the early people I got in touch with Steve. From Dog, that was, um, I got his address off of the Japanese-American noise treaty. Of course. Heck yeah. And just wrote to him and he responded and then came out and played a show at Wesleyan. That's another release coming out, Diagram A and Dog collaboration. That should be out when this radio show happens. And he's Massachusetts as well, right? He's Massachusetts, yeah. Yeah. He was in Boston at the time. And now he's I think he's still kind of close to Boston.
3: Were you far away from Lowell and Triple R?
2: No, like an hour and a half. We went up there often. That's great. I saw a lot of good stuff there, actually. Like the in-store shows. Well, yeah, I'd see like skin crime, the haters and neural. That was good. Wow. Nice. And then we would play there. I'm not sure what else I saw there.
1: Did you do any of the matinee shows the Saturday afternoon? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. When did you start Diagram A?
2: That was, was when probably this, when we probably 95, when John kind of went on to do like, he, he kind of played in this rock band a little bit for a short period of time. And so I just did solo stuff. Four track recordings, um, and then we came back to proof of the shooting.
1: Oh, god! So, so it's been, it was really going
0: almost concurrently.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yep.
0: How did your approach differ between the two projects?
2: It was just because it was solo. At first, that was like the main, the main difference. But then eventually, I mean, if, I were, if I'm recalling correctly, when when
1: we met and saw you, when Tara and I met you and saw you back in 20 years ago, yep. uh, uh. I, I do recall you had some we, some really weird pieces of equipment. Yeah. W- was that were you incorporating that stuff to improve the shooting? Or was that the kind of diagram a split using these these strange pieces of equipment?
2: That was after I went to school
1: mm-hmm.
2: that was like after 2000, I went to, to the art Institute of Chicago for two years, learned how to wire transistors together. This guy, Steve Waldeck, you know, taught class in that. So then I, it all became like making, making this stuff, taking all the junk that I had and rebuilding it into equipment.
3: Wow. Do you still make your own devices or do you still have those?
2: Well, some of them are like decayed a lot. Some of them I have that I constantly kept rebuilding and working on. And a lot of stuff right now is all stuffed in storage. But yeah, that's kind of the method. I mean, that's like after 2000, that's pretty much all I did. I didn't really use like I didn't buy equipment.
1: You said before we started recording that you were trying to get back in the mindset of of the old days. And one of the things you said was you were... Kind of going through old movies you were watching at the time, as three of us are big movie people as well. I gotta know
2: what are what were some of the yes, movies you're watching? Do tell, the, the conversation is a movie that came up really quick. Wow, yeah, because that. great. I mean, that's just like there's even I think a sample of it on the on the box. I mean, that's, that's tape fetish right. movie one hundred and one. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a movie about noise, really. <laughs> Yeah, it's so classic. <laughs> Legend of the Overfiend, every John Waters movie, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, Death and the Maiden. Uh, I'm just like throwing out all the titles that we were. I mean, it was a total mix of stuff. There was a great video store called uh, Pleasant Street Video, and they had everything that was like arty stuff and also kind of gnarly stuff. You know some zombie movies and stuff like that too, and yeah, you're
1: right up, right up great. all of our alleys, and that was the best. I mean, we had we had yeah. the best. We had this great store in in Lexington mm-hmm. in the late '90s where, I mean, ex- literally every movie you listed, Lone Wolf and Cub, yes. every John Waters yes. movie, and and at the time when, you know, especially just for our age or whatever, it was it was still you you didn't get a chance to see every John Waters movie. Yeah. It wasn't just a, vi- it was, you did have to seek it out. You had to seek out female trouble. You had, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't just a, at our fingertips. So when you did find a video store that carried El Topo or female yeah. trouble or Lone Wolf and yeah, Cub. Yeah. You read or, about it
3: in an interview and yeah. you're like, I got to find that movie. Here yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> or, or Halbermensch, you know, it's like, yeah. Oh wow, we can finally see this. I, I do remember El Topo being a big one that I had read about for yeah. in high school, had never gotten to see it. And, and when I got to that, that movie story it was It was like the first thing I rented. it cause I'm like oh
3: my god and this is and ours was a burn of Laserdisc oh, yeah, so it, it had du- the it was, like shittiest it subtitles it was that, dub that, that was
1: available forever that dub from the Japanese disc. the blood was purple cause like discol- <laughs> it was so discolored and then it had the subtitles yeah but I yeah. Mean, that was it but that was like that's all the we most get. exciting thing ever. Cause you <laughs> not did, not oh El Topo, God, but
0: you. Holy Mountain, someone I rented movies at a place called Freakbeat in Michigan, and they they gave me an under the counter copy of Holy Mountain that was just like yeah. a dub with a handwritten label. But Thomas Video was the other one in Michigan, of course, that was like you could rent anything for like the entire something weird catalog or like whatever oh, yeah. art film or whatever super sketchy horror gore thing was all yeah. at your fingertips there. And they carried books. So you could get like, Ooh, you could get the fancy. Principia Discordia and like some weird, you know, some like weird, maybe like a research book or something there. It was cool.
1: Actually, the 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 biggest movie store Revelation was for me, it was in Chicago, but it, w- it would have been closed by the time you got there. Blast off video because it closed when I was I think it was last year high school. But when they closed, they were selling everything off. So I, you know, I bought Cannibal Holocaust, bought a bunch yes. of Fulci movies. And again, it was that time when it was you'd. It felt sketchier because especially something like Cannibal Holocaust, you know, now, you know, as time goes on, and I love that all these movies get the Blu-ray treatment and liner mm-hmm. notes, get commentaries. It's amazing. They become
3: legit. But
1: back then, they it did feel like a little bit, there was a little more of a feeling of like, ooh, I don't know, this is somebody
3: went to jail for this. Yeah, this seems <laughs>
1: crazy. You know, back in the nineties, yeah. watching a lot of these movies. I
3: mean, it, it- does have animal mutilation <laughs> yeah, in yeah, it, yeah. so I don't ooh. know. But
1: I, I love, I do love that all these movies are getting such amazing treatments that will be permanently out there now. But for all of us, there's still something so special about the nineties, getting uh, yeah. those VHSs. You know,
2: no, uh, yeah, I still have, um, well. I still love VHS. I had a, a VHS of the exorcist. I remember that was very special because I had read about the subliminal messages right. when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. there was a like a glitch in the transfer. And I thought that it was part of the subliminal messages. Wow. <laughs> was really a good chunk of noise that was like spliced that looked like a, you know, spliced into the movie. And I remember watching it and looking for the word pig or whatever in it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was like a chunk of white noise.
3: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Oh, I think it, I think it was, I think it was actually subliminal. Just like they
3: inserted it yeah, 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 yeah. poorly. Like they did a really bad job. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, yeah. yeah, we had the vans that had VHS players. Now that's where it was that at That
1: was, yeah, one of a uh, we had a I was I we had a touring van that did have a TV with VCR. Yeah. And it was the best thing ever. And it was it was the best thing on tour because
3: Yeah, it was put, the only we, nice thing about out, that. We put ratty out van. like a
1: note <laughs> we you know, we put out, hey. We have a VCR in our van. You know, we'll do trades for VHSs that shows. And I mean, do we came home with just like a van full of VHS? Phil, but like a and ship load. I oh. still have some, actually I'm staring at one right now. I still have some of those that uh, he hooked us up with, but I mean, it's, it was the best. Yeah, it, every it John best Waters movie. Oh yeah. It yeah. was the best time. Was great.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I've, I love that. I've um, lately, I've been using the, the VHS as my, one of my ways of, editing sound so it's it's a good it's a good tool
1: great actually you talked about this in the trash or it was smoky emery yeah i did yeah so so what is that process so are you actually recording to a a vhs or, or or recording through the vcr what's that process
0: yeah, you can you can record to to VCR. There's a pretty nice audio track on that. You know, it's one inch one inch tape, and then a good chunk of it is taken up by audio. Not not obviously the whole thing, but it, you you can get nice saturation and good sound from using a VHS tape. I think the first person that actually told me about that was Jason Lescalit. I didn't know you could do that until we were talking about it, and then it's like, oh, of course. There's there's a left and right input for audio. You can just record audio to it. Huh. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, and I, I do like splice them and stuff.
0: Oh, you you take it you cut up the tape and, and put it back together for yeah. oh wow. That's yeah, awesome. like, uh pretty wild.
2: <laughs> yeah. You get a lot it's it's a good uh it, it's kinda like fragile. So it's like pretty unstable and and wobbly. So the splices are really kind of clumsy at times and
0: for a while, I was trying to track down. There's, uh, there's some VCRs that you can get that have uh, pitch knobs on them, like a tape deck oh, yeah. would, yep. but they're pretty hard to track down these days. But you can actually, instead of just like you know fast forward and slow motion, you can actually real time adjust the pitch of what's playing back. Oh,
2: whoa! <laughs> yeah. oh, <that's> <laughs> yeah. you Dan, do you have any, do you have one of those? Um, I had some something like that. I they all kind of have slightly different features. I don't think, I mean, it didn't have a dramatic, like accurate pitch knob, but I had something similar to that, I guess.
1: What would that be used for other
2: than making noise? Who would ever (laughs) use
1: that
3: is it like won. reviewing security yeah. footage? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. are you like trying to slow yeah, it down? Yeah. Like who cares about the pitch?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm glad that it was made, but it's one of those things you're like, wh- who, like who, uh, who was that made for besides,
0: you know? <laughs> well, I think it was yeah. just a general speed control for like video editing decks that mm-hmm. maybe made its way to the like prosumer level, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, when I went to high school, I took uh radio and TV broadcasting classes because we had a radio station at high school Uh, and so like we had to make and edit commercials and videos and stuff on the equipment and i remember that those those decks i mean you had like the huge linked editing deck and multiple like you know uh angled vcrs or whatever (laughs) angled uh, vcr things like in a big desk with monitors and a character generator nearby and stuff and those things you could dial back and you could advance it frame by frame and, and like spin the yeah, tape. Yeah. And I imagine it was originally for something like that, where you would maybe these were like models, like you could drop it into an editing rig if you have one, which, you know, at the time would have been thousands of dollars mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah, have at yeah. home. But um, yeah, I, I wish that I had that technology to play with now. Absolutely.
1: That's killer that you're still using it. So you're using that for, current diagram, a recording sessions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I have a ton of stuff that really just hasn't, hasn't really been realized yet. So I have a huge backstock of material, but
1: you do have some stuff coming out in addition to this incredible proof of the shooting four CD box set that we will have links for, of course, on our show page. Of course, as we said, self-abuse and fussy cunt teaming up to put this together. Actually, mm-hmm. who how, who came up with the idea for the box set in general? Was it you? Was it Jim? Was it Pat? Who? It was Jim.
2: Uh-huh. Uh air, Well, actually, I had been talking to Pat about it for a long time and Just couldn't get it together. Um, And Jim, Eric from Scald Him, I was living with Eric from Scald Him. He sent me a link to your show where Jim said, where's proof of the shooting?
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> on the episode and we did with, with uh, the Merzbaugh door open at 8 a.m., I think. Or it was either that or when we talked with him at the hospital fest. Yeah. One of those, oh, because we times talked times about the,
0: the split seven inch. Because I remember you guys you guys asked me if I had mm-hmm. the MSBR proof of the shooting seven inch when we did that hospital episode.
2: There you go. Oh.
1: There you go. So that must have been what it was. Oh, okay. That's so
2: cool. Yeah. So then uh, he, Josh from Lim's Bin knew him and got me in contact with him and that's how that he he's kind of stuck with it he stuck with the project and really like made it happen Um, Jim is tenacious yeah
1: yeah Jim's
2: great
3: great that's awesome yeah
2: So actually it's because of your show that this box that's happening. Hey, that is, you know what? I (laughs) feel that
1: I'm, I'm honored to be a part of, of this in some way uh, because it is really, really exciting. And it really is. I mean, you know, obviously these tapes are really hard to find. So I'm sure plenty of our listeners haven't gotten a chance to hear Mm -hmm. too much proof of the shooting, but you're about to get an avalanche of of the shooting and, Trust us when we say this is, it's going to be a wonderful avalanche of noise that you're going to, uh, just fill your room with some classic nineties. And it's so
3: unique and it's so inspiring. Like I really enjoyed listening to everything once again, because truly, um, you know, it's it's hard to get a sound that is clearly your own um, using you know junk noises and things, and it, and it happens, and it's it's magical. It's so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we are we are incredibly excited for this. But in addition to this box set, you said you had a couple other things uh, coming out shortly as well.
2: Yeah. The um. So diagram A bastard noise collaboration. From about that same time period, probably 99 or whatever, something like that. 98, 99, 2000. Right on. Probably 99. Um, That's like classic bastard noise, Wood and uh, Nelson. Um, And it's just like, it's going to be reissued on a CD, comes out on uh, unseen force uh tapes or whatever recordings that's uh that's a really heavy one too that's like a very atmospheric deep soundscapes really it really kind of kind of following the proof of the shooting idea actually because uh it's like about six titles and they're all like you know there's no there's no lyrics or anything. It's just these titles. And then it dumps into these big soundscapes. So you're kind of like meditating on these, on this text in a way, if you work that way. Yes. So look for that. All right. A collaboration with dog diagram, a dog collaboration on love earth music. Um, uh, that'll be out close, close to the same time. Awesome. Great news.
1: Heck yes. Well, Dan, this was such a cool conversation and it's really cool catching up like we had I don't remember if we said it on the recording or not but it had been it's been 20 years oh yes we have of course because I Tara always likes Mike when loves I loves to really
3: put a hard number to everything he's yeah, like, like she really you, likes know, a, you know tell you how old you are it yeah she, she really likes been. when I point that out <laughs> I really uh, love the reminder because I need it you know I don't feel it at yeah. all
1: <laughs> um, awesome talking to you Dan this is really cool thanks for yeah. taking the time to share some memories of the old days with us and with the listeners and get everyone excited to go pick up that proof of the shooting box
2: today. Go do All it. right. Yeah. Thank you.
3: You've been listening to noise extra noise. Extra is brought to you by chondritic sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreoncom noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at Noise Extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at Noise Extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.